What is up, everyone? I hope you're doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia here on Thursday, December 12th, 2019. And this is the MMA Ratings Podcast, episode 145. And that's a great number to be at because we are previewing and mostly talking about episode uh, UFC 245, which is this Saturday. And I say we, and when I say we, I really mean me because Schwann was unable to join me tonight. So this is just my show. You're dealing with me tonight, all about me. So anyway, as always, thank you for taking the time to listen to this show. You can check us out at MMARatings.net where you can catch this podcast. You can also rank the fights, tell us how good you thought they were on our 1 to 10 star scale, or you can tell us how excited you are for future fights. Again, 1 to 10 star scale there. You can catch our podcast. We have this one and the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast, which comes up at MMARatings.net, the R youtube channel you can also catch us on spotify icloud anchor stitcher and itunes and i feel like i'm forgetting one but whatever listen to our content when you have the opportunity to please be sure to like and share like share and subscribe let people know that you're listening to the mma ratings content and reading our content as well and as always we appreciate you taking the time to do so me myself you can catch me at r garcia underscore sports where i'm always talking about mma professional wrestling basketball, um, political issues, social issues, and everything in between. So I have a little bit of an agenda to cover tonight, and I want to pop that back open because I accidentally closed it, so let me open that back up. But as I said, this is episode 145, and we're mostly going to be talking about UFC 245. But before we do that, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some news stories, the first being Liz Carmouche and how she was cut from the UFC this past week, and this Actually, kind of unfortunate because um, UFC DC was obviously in Washington, D.C., and Liz Carmouche was here with the UFC doing promotion. She was um, going around to various hospitals. She was a part of a leaf-laying leaf ceremony over in Arlington National Cemetery, and she was doing a couple other things. Interestingly enough, she actually came to the gym where I teach on Wednesday of last week, and she took part in our um, – Randori session there where we had some live sparring going on. I got a couple of roles in with her. And I had a pretty bit interesting conversation with her because she was talking about what's next, saying that, you know, she's been looking for fights and, you know, just trying to get back into the cage after losing. Because she remembers she lost to Valentina Shevchenko back in August for the women's flyweight title. So she was looking for what's next um, in the UFC, looking for her next bout. Lo and behold, the UFC cut her on Thursday. Or news broke that she was cut on Thursday. She had actually been cut before, but the news had just then trickled down to her weeks after. And now she was in D.C. on her own dime, took time off from work to be there to do promotional uh, events for the UFC for free, not getting paid, but doing those events. And with the UFC there, representatives obviously there who, who knew she was released and the information just never got trickled down. This is real unfortunate here because they could have treated her much, 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 much better than, than this. And everyone acknowledges that. What's been unfortunate is that the UFC hasn't really even apologized for it. I mean, we should expect them to do so, but we know that this is a UFC and they'll probably never do that. But she was left hanging out to dry. And what's been interesting, probably the most intriguing part of this is you've been seeing stories or social media posts, whether it be on Instagram or Twitter, pop up from various fighters about how grateful they are for the UFC when they've given them money 
just because you saw Michael Bisping post one, you saw Daniel Cormier post one. It's like, man, look, we know what you're trying to do. This is the UFC trying to cover their butts about being pieces of shit when it came to how they treated Lucas Carmouche. This is unfortunate. They should not have done this. And everyone involved in the matter knows better, especially for the fact that she was here on her own dime doing what they asked her to do. And they basically refused to uh, treat her with some dignity. And that's that's a real unfortunate fact. That's where fighters are today when they stand as, quote, unquote, independent contractors with the UFC. Now, what's really interesting about this, there's two other points I wanted to highlight, is the first is in order to get a title shot with the UFC, you have to sign a new contract. So Liz was in the second fight, I believe, of a six-fight contract that she had just signed with the UFC that they released her out of. She was 4-2 and two in her last six fights, so she was performing very well, even at 33, I believe, years of age. So she was continuously finding success. But the reason she was given, if there, there's an interview that she did with Ariel Hawani this week, is that she was cut because other women were not were turning down fights with her. They didn't want to compete against her. And that says a lot. Instead of punishing the people that turned down fights in this regard, they punished the person that they knew that they couldn't beat. So imagine coming to work and getting fired because you're too good at your job. Think about that. That's basically what happened to Liz uh, last week when she was released from the UFC. People don't want to fight her because she's doing too good dispatching uh, prospects coming up in the weight class. But that seems like a problem with them and not necessarily a problem with Liz. But unfortunately, Liz Carmouche faces the ramifications and the repercussions of that situation. She's jettisoned out from the promotion. So that is a really highly unfortunate situation for her to be in. And that is why she's on her way out. Uh, that is why she's out looking for other opportunities. I expect her to pop up in Bellator, where there's opportunities there. Kabate Americas is doing the best that they can to, to pull in fighters. Um, who else? Uh, you are, Obviously, you have one. You have Ryzen. You have Invicta. So she'll pop up somewhere. But it's just unfortunate the way this whole thing went down. Um, next news story, I don't want to talk too much about UFC DC. I was there in attendance. Definitely want to talk about Bryce Mitchell and his post-fight commentary. I want to just kind of touch upon the main event between Overeem and Joao uh, Rosenstruck. I'm not sure if I'm saying his first name right. But I am okay with the stoppage here. I was there, as I mentioned live, you see Overeem go down, and when he pops up, he stumbles off to his right. Uh, he falls into the cage, and um, goodness, the referee's name escapes me right now. But he stopped him from falling, trying to catch him and, and pick him back, or like kind of guide him back to his feet. Not to his feet, but guided him steady. And clearly, Overeem was hurt at that point in time. Now, up until that point, up until, so for 14 minutes, say 56, 53 seconds of the fight, he was in control. He was winning that fight. He was on his way to a decision of victory. But then he eats a bad shot goes down, and the ref stepped in immediately. I don't like the, well, I can't really say I don't like the way the ref stepped in immediately because he didn't allow Overeem to take any shots. So he didn't go, like, super out. He didn't go out like he did when Francis Ngannou uppercutted his head off. He went back against the cage and was sitting on his butt. He was coherent, not fully coherent. Then you look at the scar he had on his face, the damage to his face. That was probably the most disturbing part. He looked like Heath Ledger 
as a Joker carved a smile into his face. The, the, the amount of lip that was missing, you could see above his gum line on his right left side. That was horrific. If you haven't seen it, go back, look at some of the pictures. They're floating across social media. They're listed as sensitive content because it's bad. It was a bad knock. It was a bad cut, a bad um, injury there. So that I understand why they stopped it in that fight because it could have gotten worse. Even with just eight seconds left, it could have gotten much, much, much worse. So I understand why it was stopped. I agree with the stoppage. I, yes, it is unfortunate for Overeem. Uh, Rosenstruck, you know, he becomes a prospect at a bigger prospect at heavyweight uh adam martin wrote about him fighting francis and ganu next i'm okay with that i think that's a big fight there to kind of determine who's next for the belt but man that was a huge 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 uh knockout there and if you can find it still there's video of his return to uh where is it from sierra leone where the crowd basically was um chanting his name and excited to see him come back. So like that was a, a pretty big moment there. Let's see what else. That's all I really wanted to talk about from UFC DC. Let's move into probably the chunk, the meat of today's conversation, tonight's conversation, where I will be talking about UFC 245. And of course, we can't talk about this fight without starting at the main event, where we have Kamar Usman and Kobe Covington fighting for the 170-pound title. Now, Usman is the undisputed champion. Covington is carrying around that interim championship. I don't know if he was actually ever stripped for that belt, but, you know, he earned it with his win over, was it Javier Dos Anjos, I believe? I believe that's who he won. I believe that's who he defeated for the interim title, but they both have belts coming in, into this fight, so, you know, it is what it is. But there's a couple of different talking points I wanted to start with here. The first one being is would a victory for Kamar Usman pay him as the hero? And I think the reason, not necessarily, I think the reason why this is a question is because of Kobe Covington's antics. And we've been, we've talked about it multiple times, we've covered it, where, you know, Kobe Covington's been saying very divisive things about uh, just about anybody that he can. He's been em embracing. MAGA co uh, culture and kind of leaning on that to get clicks and get headlines. And it's been working. He's been, I mean, he is the A side of this fight, rather, regardless of the fact that if he's the inner or the undisputed champion at all, he is the A side of this fight. And it was originally Tyron Woodley who was in this position to play the hero, per se, to shut up uh, Kobe Covington. But Usman defeated Woodley, and now Woodley is out of the picture Usman's in. Usman being a um, Nigerian-born um, fighter, they also goes into the racial implications of this fight as well, too. Say what you want. Combat sports has a heavy, uh, I guess I'll use the word stigma, a heavy his history in race playing, race and ethnicity playing a part in um, how fights are booked, how fights are presented, how fights are promoted, and how fans react to fights. If you can't understand that and listen to that, I can't help you because it's it's very, very, very well known and commonplace. So the question of whether or not Usman can play the hero here is a good question because there are a lot of people that are hoping that Covington just gets shut the fuck up. And I think that that narrative is understandable when you look at some of the things he's saying. 
some of the things he's doing, like carrying, like uh, hiring women to just stand on his arm with like arm candy. Just the cringeworthy stuff. Like, if this is how you think you have to go about promoting a fight, then I feel sorry for you. And that actually leads into the second point because uh, Covington spoke with Candace Owens, of all people, and made a confession about him playing a character because he knew he was going to be in a position or he claims he was in a position where the UFC told him they were going to cut him regardless of the fact of if he defeated Damian Maya or not. So he defeat according to Covington, he defeats Maya and then goes on this quote unquote promo in the ring about uh, or in the cage about everyone there being um, filthy animals. Uh, everyone being filthy animals, et cetera, et cetera, and how that helped him become a bigger name. It helped him get some cachet with the UFC. It helped him get some um, cachet with the UFC and basically make him a um, stronger draw for lack of a, of a better term. Now, there are plenty of people talking about whether or not this was, this is true or not. I mean, that's, I feel like that's not my space because I don't know those conversations. I was not in the room when those conversations were occurring. But the struggle I have with this entire situation is if that is what you think you had to do to become a draw, what does that mean about you? What does that mean about the sport itself? What does that mean about how the fans respond to this sport? It, it, it matters so many different, it, like it makes, it, it raises so many different questions to me. And I was actually just talking about this on Twitter uh, today. And I said, you know, there, the issue about this to me is that the MAGA, the MAGA inclusion of the, of the MAGA stuff, for lack of a better term, is that for many people who look like me, many people who are locked up in cages at the border, many people who are going through uh, financial constraints, financial strains because of of tariffs being placed on their on their goods. People who are finding themselves in situations that are direct negative situations that are directly in play because of what this president has done and what he's put in place and what he's continued to try to put in place around him. We can't look at that as just a joke. We can't look at that as oh this is funny this is ha ha this 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 is this isn't cringeworthy this isn't, isn't offensive. So for Covington to take that and try to twist it into a joke and now act like he was just playing a, a character, that doesn't make him a sympathetic individual to me. It makes me question him as a person because it's just it's it's just stupid. Like we all know that that wasn't necessary. We know that that wasn't needed to build up a fight. Uh, and what's interesting is. You know, Conor McGregor actually he stroked some racial fires. Excuse me, when he was talking about his fights with Rafael dos Anjos, his fight with uh, 
What's the guy that does Jose Aldo? He said some pretty divisive sounding things. Ben Askren, you know, he's made comments about um Jay Heron that was that was just like, what are you really trying to say about that? He's made comments about Kamar Usman being art- articulate. It's like what are you really like what are you really trying to say? Those types of narratives are seeping into mixed martial arts. Kareem Zidane, who writes for Bloody Elbow, I believe he um works for MMA fighting, one of the two. But he extensively covers a lot of these white nationalist groups that are popping up teaching people MMA, quote unquote, so they can be prepared for a race war. This isn't a joke to people like me. So to see Covington take that, say it's going to be his joke and that's how he's going to get, that's how he's going to remain relevant and uh, elevate himself to, to title contention, that's a problem with me. So if that's a, if that's a character that he's playing, play it. Be who you are, play it, but don't try to act all, um, what's the word? Don't try to act all, uh, what's the word I want to use? Shocked when people don't give a fuck about you and people want to see you get hurt. Like people have been saying about Kobe, about Kobe Covington, excuse me, I can't really fully talk today. But those are the two big uh, angles hanging heading into this fight. And I think that they, Twitter's going to be a shitstorm come Saturday if once this fight ends and it's gonna be crazy. And like I, I don't I wanna look away with it's like almost like a tragic car accident. Breaking down the fight from a from a style standpoint uh, is very captivating to me. Covington is a very aggressive striker on his feet. That's where he does most of his best work. He's he overwhelms people. He runs them into the ground. There was a clip of the Javier Dosanos fight that that where he was just all over uh Dosanos, all over him. And that's just the type of fighter he is. And, I, and shit, when I fought, I wish I was that type of fighter. I didn't have the gas tank to, to, to do it. Usman is a similar fighter, but not really. He also overwhelms his opponents, but he doesn't do it in the same fashion. He overwhelms them by pushing their back up against the cage, dragging them down, and beating them up. You saw him do it to Tyron Woodley. You saw him do it to Damian Maya, so many different other people. Like he drags them to the ground, and basically, like the saying goes, dragging you, drags you in, into deep water and that's exactly what he is trying to do with oh that's what the two uh what's the word the two that's how the two styles are going to play off of each other on saturday and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out interesting to see what works interesting to see what happens because um it's going to be a it's going to be a brawl for four or five rounds i think there's going to be there's going to go rounds that there are going to be rounds that go both ways some people are saying that their wrestling may cancel each other out and it'd be mostly a stand-up war i think there is space for that but it's going to be a knockdown drag out fight for lack of a better term and i'm really uh looking forward to that so let's see what's the next topic i wanted that's tj DeSantis. yep it is the next topic i wanted to talk about was um max holloway and alexander volkanovsky they're fighting for the 145 title and this is an interesting fight here because, yeah, Holloway is a big favorite coming into this fight. People know him. People are aware of what Holloway has done throughout the streak. And, I mean, he is – it looks like Eddie Bravo. So I'm also watching Quintet, which is on UFC Fight Pass. They have the Quintet Ultra that's on today. So they have TJ DeSantis from Sure Dog fame brought in with Eddie Bravo, EBI. Um, you know, that Eddie Bravo to be the commentators is pretty cool. But anyway, back to the fight agenda for today. Volkanovski and Holloway, 
And this is a pretty interesting fight is because this the thing that stood out to me the most when I was looking at this fight here is that there is a five inch height advantage. Holloway is five six, Volkanovski is five or well, excuse me, Holloway is five eleven, Volkanovski is five six. But there's a two reach, two inch reach advantage for Volkanovski. Which, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't shake out to a whole, whole, whole lot when you think about it, but it's still pretty uh, captivating, uh, just a captivating angle to kind of think about because you see different body shapes all the time in professional sports, and specifically combat sports. I think that's pretty cool. But it will be interesting to watch how these fights go down, um, this fight specifically, because Volkanovski poses an interesting challenge. He has been quietly dismantling people. He last defeated Jose Aldo. And he did so in a way that was just complete domination. Yes, Holloway knocked Aldo out twice, but Volkanovski was able to negate every single thing that Jose Aldo tried to do, which was the first time we kind of saw that. Because Aldo was able to get in some shots against Holloway in both fights, uh, some some good shots. But Volkanovski basically dominated him and controlled him from start to finish. What's also interesting about that is that Volkanovski's defense, statistical defense, is in the, I think, the low 60s, which is important because if he's not taking damage, he's not losing the fight, in my opinion. So like, let's see what this kind of fight, what this looks looks to. I don't think that a win for Holloway is enough for him to be considered the 145-pound GOAT. I still think it's Aldo, in my opinion, but it, it goes a long way in uh, helping the conversation for him. Then you also have to ask uh, if he stays at... 145 pounds after this bout. So that brings me to title fight number three, where we have Amanda Nunez versus Jermaine Deronomy. This is a rematch from 2016, I believe. And first comment I have about this fight here is I truly do believe that Amanda Nunez is the greatest of all time. She doesn't get enough consideration on pound for pound uh, conversations right now. But I think that as a woman, as uh, we look at her resume, we look at who she's beaten, who she's dominated, who she's stopped. There's no question that she's the greatest women's fighter of all time. Um, I mean, yeah, there's others that are in the, in the conversation, quote unquote, but she's going to be my number one pick. She's defeated Rousey, uh, Tate, Holm, Julia Budd, Cyborg. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah. She's defeated, you know, just about anybody that has anybody. So I don't think that there needs to be any more conversation beyond that point. Uh, and the question I have here is, it was actually a pretty interesting conversation I saw this week about whether or not fighters are able to get up, quote unquote, for these types of fights because they've already have a victory over the person that they're fighting. And it may not seem like a challenging contest at this point in time in their career. That'll be an interesting piece to watch. Uh, Nunez was asked that question. She basically said that she looks at her title every day, and that's what keeps her, you know, in the mood to compete and in the mood to train hard and in the mood to continue uh, improving. I think that was on, um, well, actually, with uh, Fernanda... For ooh, I can't I can't pronounce Dr. Fernandez's last name, so I apologize. But yes, um, that is that's my first question. We're looking at this fight here. Uh, 
Nunez as a Nunez as a champion, how how would she prepare? How how prepared would she be to get back into this fight here? And the second piece of that is GDR. Can the UFC trust her as a champion? Let's say she does win. We've already seen her one time refuse to fight a opponent because of her own personal reasons. She claims steroids, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We know the background that um, what's her name, a Cyborg had with PDs. We we like, we know those conversations. We've had them. We we've hashed them over and over. We've we we've hashed that over and over and over and over and over again. Um, so yeah, there there's that. Uh, but the question is whether or not GDR can be trusted as a champion because she wins a title. Who's to say she doesn't? She decides, okay, I don't want to fight this top contender because I don't think she is legit. I don't think she's clean. I don't think et cetera, et cetera. Why is that? I mean, why isn't anyone having that conversation? And why don't people think that that could happen again? Because it very well has happened before in the past. I apologize for that because my cats are running around the house screaming right now. But yeah, like that's that's a big question that people should be asking about GDR because clearly it's it's a question that has been answered before and unfortunately it's been answered in the wrong way. I think Nunez is going to win this fight again, but you never really know. GDR has shown that she can violently stop people and smash people in, in a moment's notice, so I wouldn't be 110% surprised if she clipped her and finished her out. But man, I'm really leaning towards Nunez to get this win here and, and kind of continue her run. Uh, then we have Marlon Morales is welcoming Jose Aldo to the 135-pound division. And the big piece of this, the big conversation piece about this is is Aldo's weight cut. The pictures that have been popping up for the last three weeks have not been fantastic. We all know Aldo had issues getting down to 145 pounds. Ten more pounds on top of that is a big ass and he's looking frail uh, in some of these pictures so let's he was at the stare down today he looked man he looked emaciated so uh, let's see what he looks like come Friday tomorrow tomorrow morning uh but it doesn't look good um he doesn't look healthy I don't know I mean he's facing and he's not fighting a guy who is a pushover he's facing the guy who many thought would be the bantamweight champion who had Himmy Hudo on skates in their fight, but uh, Marlon Morales is nobody's joke. So this is a tough, 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 tough fight, and I wonder what they're both going to look like, but I definitely am more concerned about how uh, Aldo will look after the weight cut is complete and whether he'll be able to actually replenish himself for Saturday's fight. And then you have to wonder, if he does win, does he immediately leapfrog everybody for a title shot against Henry Cejudo? Because you have Aldo coming down. You have Uriah Faber returning. He's also on this card. You have Edgar coming down. You have Marlon, who's still there. You have um, Peter Yan, who's there. You have Aljamain Sterling. You have so many guys who are putting themselves in title contention. And Henry Cejudo hasn't shown zero interest in fighting any of them. He's out with injury right now. But he's calling out guys like Faber. He's calling out... Um, champions of other weight classes he has no interest in defending the title against anyone that is a top contender and that is a concern so if Aldo wins he is a name 
and he is someone that could be paired against uh, Henry Cejudo to headline a event. So you have to wonder if he gets a win over Marlon Morales on Saturday, does he automatically leap back into that title picture? If Marlon wins, I don't think he does. I don't think he does leap right back into the title picture. Uh, so we'll just kind of have to see how that plays out. But I think this is a all or nothing for Aldo. He has much, much, much more to win to gain in this fight and basically nothing to lose except for a leg because it looks like that's what he's going to need to cut off to um, make weight. Uh, let's see. Who is next I wanted to talk about? Peter Yan and Uriah Faber. I have a question for everyone out there. Is it wrong to call Uriah Faber a stepping stone at this point in his career? I actually was writing a piece for Fansided about this and I had to catch myself because I wrote that Uriah Faber is a stepping stone at this point. I felt bad because, yeah, he got that 46-second stoppage over Ricky Simone. Uh, Simone uh, was it last year, earlier this year? And now, you know, he's being he sl- slides in there to face Peter Yan, who I think is number three ranked in the division. So you have to wonder uh, what a win for Faber does at this point in time and, and how that really kind of plays out. So, in my opinion, this, I think Peter Yan is going to win this fight. I'm not saying Faber is a stepping stone. I'm just saying he isn't the elite of the elite at this point in time. Uh, so, we'll, we're, we're going to kind of see that play out. And I think that this fight is for um, definitely for uh, Peter Yan to win. He has much more to gain. I don't think that the UFC will put him in, in the title picture, even if, even if he wins. I don't think he has enough cachet to demand a title shot, and that's kind of unfortunate, but I really think that that's kind of how that's going to play out, even if he does pick up a, a victory. Let's see, let's see, let's see. So like I said, I'm watching Quintet Ultra at the same time. We got Craig Jones and Fredson Fajal out here fighting in an eight-minute sub-only match, and you know, Craig's doing this thing, already getting the sweep, coming up on top. And he's going right. He has... Uh, mm, Fredson's trying to play outside the leg lock game, but that's not me. It's Craig fucking Jones. What the hell are you going to do about that? But that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's talk about ooh, one other fight. Ooh, nice back take. Nice back take. One other fight I wanted to talk about was, oh, actually, what else stood out to me on this card? So a couple of different things popped out. Caitlin Vieira, she has not fought in a year. I believe it's been a year, and she's stepping back into the cage. She was undefeated coming into, I believe she's undefeated, right? Yep, 10-0. She has not fought since uh, defeating Kat Zingano in March of last year. And because she was dealing with multiple injuries. So you have to wonder, and she's fighting Irene Adani. Adani is not a easy out in any way, shape, or form. So let's see what um, she looks like, uh, that being Vieira, after such a long time off, because uh, she may be a top a top challenger for Nunez if she can come out with a win. Speaking of women being top challengers, Jessica I is also fighting on this card, and I'm wondering if she's fighting for her job, especially after the way that Carmouche was cut, because I is a tough challenger um, for the women coming up. At up, Craig Jones gets the tap with five minutes left. So well, let me live tweet this real quick. Craig Jones gets the sub via RNC. 
we have five plus remaining quintet ultra. So I wonder if um, I wonder if we are looking at a situation where if Jessica I wins, she could be on her way out of the um, UFC win, lose, or draw because she got smoked by Valentina Shevchenko, so she doesn't really have too much value, and I do that in quotes to UFC right now. She's lost at 135. She's lost at 125. Where does she really fit in? They can't keep her around if she continues to knock off contenders. They've shown that they don't want to do that because Carmouche is much more successful, much more valuable. Then... You have to wonder what's next. I think if she wins or if she loses, she's out of the picture. To be honest, I don't, I don't, I don't. You have to watch. So she must have resigned a new contract before the title fight, where she got knocked out earlier this year. I think this is the first fight back. So let's kind of really see how that plays out. Um, those are the big stories I'm looking for. If USC 245 is this Saturday from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, I'm looking forward to this event. I think it's going to be a pretty good card, and I think Twitter is going to be a shitstorm once that main event ends and once that main event ends. So let's see what that really, that's really going to be like, and that's going to hold on to our butts, as someone once said from uh, Jurassic Park. But all in all, as always, you know where to find my work. You can check me out at R. Garcia Sports, where I'm writing about wrestling, uh, professional grappling, like Quintet Tonight, MMA. Uh, basketball, everything along those lines. And yeah, stay up with me at rgarcia underscore sports. MMA ratings, you can catch us at MMA ratings.net. MMA ratings on on uh, YouTube, where you see this show and our other podcasts. Uh, MMA ratings net on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, that's really it, guys. I appreciate you all for listening to me tonight. Schwan, I have no idea where you are. Hope you're doing all right, bro. Um, hope the girls haven't ran you into the ground. But all in all, we will, we will be back next week, potentially. Is next week Christmas or is the week after that? I think it's the week after that, right? Yeah, we'll be back next week. That'll be our last show for the year. And, yeah, as always, thank you all for listening to this show. I appreciate you, um, and have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.